Welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. We're up to episode six. So we're getting into the rhythm of this uh, NHL season. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to previous episodes. Very happy. It's been a obviously a very good uh, week for the Islanders coming into this week. Uh, interesting week coming up ahead. Uh, finally games at the Barclays Center. Not that... I don't know how many people are really looking forward to that, but uh, there are games in Brooklyn this week. So, uh, again, welcome. Island Dice, Episode 6. Uh, you know where to find us, or hopefully you do. We are on the Newsday website, newsday.com sports, backslash sports. We're on SoundCloud. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google Play. You can find us on Spotify. Please, please, please rate, review, comment. We love attention. Isn't that true of most people? We just, we love, we love hearing from you. Good, bad. Uh, the, the only not so good thing is indifference. So uh, any comments, please leave them. Please rate, review. Uh, trying to make this show as polished and as good as possible. Um, we'll see about the polished part. I'm still still learning. Uh, we're we're recording this week's episode from Shea Gross instead of the uh, the the fantastic Newsday Studios, which I love going into working with Mark Lamonica on this. Um, thank you, Mark. Miss you this week. Here's a little look behind the uh, curtain at show prep. When you work at home, I, I, I made sure to unplug the phone so the landline doesn't ring. I made sure to uh, have the dog walked and out of the room so he's not barking. Uh, and, and here's the biggest thing I've learned doing this podcast, especially at home when I'm talking into my uh, iPhone, is uh, you got to put it on don't accept calls from, every, from anyone. If anyone's doing a podcast on their iPhone, set your iPhone to do not receive calls. Because uh, last time I tried doing a, a podcast at home, I, I wound up speaking into my iPhone uh, for 20 minutes. But I had gotten a call about four or five minutes into the segment. And uh, last 15 minutes weren't recorded. So that was a lot of me talking to myself, which... Uh, you know what probably happens way too often in my life. But anyway, so I, I think everything is set up. Like I said, it's been a, a really interesting week with the Islanders and uh, a lot to, to, to get into uh, on the show. Uh, obviously, I'm going to look ahead, like I said, to the week ahead, some games at Barclays and uh, as they look to continue this uh, this winning streak, which is, uh, you know, now stretched into the second longest in uh, club history. Also on the show, I, I have a chat uh, I'd like you to listen to uh, with Cal Clutterbuck, who played in his 800th uh, NHL game on uh, Saturday night in Buffalo. An interesting chat with Cal. That's coming up later. And uh, as always, uh, I'm going to take some of your questions via Twitter and try and give as... Uh, I don't know, uh, lucid answers as I can for that and try and uh, uh, see if we can get through that. We'll, we'll, start, um, we'll start with some injury updates for the Islanders. Uh, as I record on a Monday, they, uh, they host the Senators tomorrow night, Tuesday night on, at Barclays Center. And uh, it, it does not look 
certainly like Leo Komarov is going to be back in the lineup, and it does not look like Nick Letty is going to be back in the lineup. Um, neither one skated with the team today uh, in East Meadow at the, at the full practice. Now, Komarov, this is six games and counting with, a, uh, with an illness, and that's, you know, it's about as long as I can remember in covering the NHL that a player is missed because of illness. Uh, you know, I know there was the mumps, uh, mumps uh, kind of spread a few seasons back, but uh, still, I mean, we, we, we haven't gotten any clarification on exactly what Leo is, was dealing with or is dealing with. Um, uh, Barry Trott said today he did skate hard on the ice, but albeit skating hard on his own. So, you know, if he didn't get a practice in with the team today, I, I don't suspect he's going to play t- uh, against the Senators. And, and Nick Letty also, uh, Barry Barry said they kept Nick Letty off for another day. Now, they they played they played Saturday night in Buffalo, a one nothing win. Nick Letty had been expected to play in that game, but uh, he was... It was a back-to-back. Uh, there, he's got a lower body issue that was aggravated in the 5-2 win over the Lightning on Friday night at the Coliseum. So uh, they held him out. Um, it, it sounded more precautionary than anything on Saturday night, and Barry was very hopeful he'd be able to practice on Monday. Uh, the team was off Sunday, but uh, Letty was not out on the ice with the team today. So that's two full days in a game on Saturday where where he is not skated or practiced and uh, so that makes him probably out uh, doubtful to out against the Senators on Tuesday night uh, two straight games out of the lineup for uh, for Letty and, and Jordan Everly um, was in a non-contact jersey he's uh, uh, dealing with a, a lower body issue as well he's he's missed eight games now but he was in a non-contact jersey he went through a practice. Uh, Barry Trotz says still no timeline on, on Everly's return, but once the guys get back on the ice, you know, with with the teammates, uh, unless there are any setbacks, you know that you know that the the return is getting there. Uh, we we should see. I, I would certainly, you know, suspect by the 13th against the Maple Leafs at the Coliseum. I would suspect. Eberly would be back by then, if not before then. But again, the Islanders don't have a timeline on him. So we'll just have to go through the week and see how quickly uh, Jordan can shed that orange non-contact jersey and get into a regular practice jersey. And once that happens, it's uh, usually a fairly uh, quick return into the lineup. Talked about Letty being out. What that means is there's an opportunity here for uh, rookie defenseman Noah Dobson, who played against the Sabres. Uh, getting into his fourth career game. I know there's been a lot of questions uh, through the season. You know, what is their plan with Noah Dobson? He's a 12th twelfth overall pick in 2018. And as we've discussed on a few of these episodes, he's not AHL eligible. And the Islanders do not want to send him back to uh, their junior team or his junior team, sorry, um, because they don't see... Anyway, his development will be, you know, furthered by going back to junior hockey. So he's, for for now, you know, he is, he's in, he's an Islander, and he's kind of the seventh D man. And, you know, they still think, and 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 I tend to agree with them. This is, given the circumstances, this is the best thing that can happen for his development because he is learning. 
you know, presumably over the course of a full season, what it means to, to be an NHL player here. And there, there's incredible value in that, even if he's not in every game. But, uh, you know, he's going to get a, it looks like he's going to get back-to-back games here. Um, the last time he did that was uh, the, the Islanders' third and fourth game of the year. Um, now, you know, I asked Barry after, uh, after the game in Buffalo, because to me, and this was before I scored the, saw the, uh, the, the postgame saw, uh, score sheet, I thought Noah had played his best game out of the four so far. He just looked very poised, and w- which is kind of what he is. But I, I thought he was very engaged, and I, I saw him make a, a lot of, you know, quick passes through the defensive zone, banking it off the boards, just making smart reads and getting the puck out quickly. And, and he was also, you know, he was used, I believe, on the power play and, uh, you know, and, and got, uh, you know, got some opportunities up ice as well. So I thought it was a well-rounded game for him. He played 120 on the power play, but when I looked at the score sheet, he, he, he logged 11.52, which is obviously uh, the least amongst the six defensemen, and uh, that's the least amongst his four games. So when I asked Barry if this was his best game, uh, you know, that was my eyeballs talking. Um, and, but what, what Barry said, and what I think is true, is that with each successive game, Noah looks more and more comfortable out there. The, the first couple of games, there were some, uh, you know, low hiccups around his crease under pressure. You know, the game comes at you quick, and you can practice all you want. You can play all the preseason games you want, and then the regular season hits, and, and it's sort of like reality hitting. And no one should forget that this is a 19-year-old playing in a man's league. So there, there are going to be hiccups. I, I didn't see many hiccups uh, at Buffalo, and perhaps that was because the ice time was limited, and, and they kind of protected him. But so very interested to see, you know, presuming he is in the lineup on Tuesday night against the Senators, uh, you know, what the progression is from from Saturday night. Because, uh, like I said, I liked what he what I saw there. I'd like to, to see if he gets a little more uh, ice time. So. Uh, uh, like I said, uh, the week ahead, the, the game against the Senators on, on Tuesday is the start of uh, three straight at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. They got the Penguins on Thursday night, and then they got the Panthers on a Saturday matinee. Uh, five of the seven home games this month are in Brooklyn. Uh, that's the most out of the whole season in terms of how many games in a month at Barclays. And remember, they, they switched seven more games after the original 21-20 split uh, Coliseum and Barclays to make it a 28 at the Coliseum, 13 at Barclays split. So, uh, you know, it, it's not a ton of games at Barclays this year. Um, like I said, five of seven this month. I, I'm really curious, uh, you know, how how it translates to the Barclays Center. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of discussion about Barclays Center and the feasibility of it as an Islanders home rink since the Islanders uh, you know, got out of Coliseum the, the first time after the 2015 playoffs. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I certainly am not a big fan of going and, you know, doing that split because the morning skate is still all the way out in East Meadow. So I, like the players, have to commute into Brooklyn for the game. Uh, it's it's not easy. You know, it, I, I know it's, you know, in, in terms of real world problems, you know, driving an hour into Brooklyn is not 
you know, a hardship or anything, but if you're a professional athlete and, and this is your sole focus, it really is out of the routine of what, you know, players on other teams have to deal with, really. So, uh, you know, uh, see how how it goes. Uh, obviously, the last time we saw an Islanders game at the Barclays Center, they were losing two in a row, games one and two to the Hurricanes. Close games, you know, not like... Uh, the, the two games in Carolina, which, uh, you know, the, the, the final score got a little bit, you know, I think they were 5-2 games each there. Uh, much closer games at the uh, at Barclays, but still two losses there. Um, and, and then you have to wonder, you know, like I said, it's, it's 28 games at, at uh, the Coliseum, only 13 at Barclays, but but what happens in the playoffs? And uh, if you go back to episode five, uh, Jim Bombach of uh, of Newsday and I, who uh, Jim is great on the arena, you know, he's all over that. We had a nice discussion about, you know, just the eventuality of what happens, you know, after the regular season ends, and if the Islanders are still playing well, and then they qualify for the playoffs again, where, where are they going to have these playoff games? Last season, of course. Round one at Nassau Coliseum, all subsequent rounds, uh, as dictated by the NHL, were going to be played at Barclays. And I, I, I really wonder if that's going to be the case. Um, I, I sort of suspect it will be, just because of the, uh, the, the financial aspect of how much more money they can make uh, at a sold-out Barclays or a well-filled Barclays um, in the playoffs as compared to Nassau Coliseum. Um, my one suggestion to the league would be to make this determination as to where the playoff games are going to be a little bit sooner than you did last season. Um, I, I, I think you owe that to the fans at least. Uh, a little bit of certainty as to you know, uh, fans got to plan out stuff too. And, and we talked about this and maybe some, one of the reasons attendance seems to be down at the Coliseum is because they, they were late in selling those individual game tickets because they had to uh, announce the move to the, those seven additional games get moved to Nassau Coliseum. That was announced relatively late in terms of, you know, uh, getting close to the regular season. So, you know, um, I, I would I would like to know. You know I, speaking, you know, if I were an Islanders fan, I would like to know where my team is playing the playoffs as quickly as possible um, to see if it's feasible for me to to attend. Um, that being me, I mean, obviously, I'm going to be at every game, so I, I don't have those same planning issues. I just go where the league tells me to go. You know, so it's five games at Barclays this month. Uh, I don't think there are any in uh, in December. There's one in January, four in February, and then uh, unlike last season when uh, I believe, uh, you know, all the games in March and actually uh, last week of February, all of March, all of April, you know, first round of the playoffs, uh, Islanders had not seen Barclays Center for a long, long time before they started that second round of the playoffs. This season, they got three games uh, in Brooklyn in March, um, the last being on March 22nd against the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, a little ironic. So, you know, maybe uh, Barclays, if they do play playoff games there, will not be such foreign territory as it was. But uh, again, this, 
I, I know we're getting towards the end of it. It's, uh, they're, they're splitting home games this season. We'll see what happens next season. Again, in episode five, me and Jim Bombeck discussed, you know, where the games would be played next season. And uh, Jim seemed to think, and I, I agree with him totally, that, you know, next season, if you know you're going to be in Belmont in 2021, uh, October of 21, then next season it would seem logical that, you know, all games are at Nassau Coliseum and, you know, let's let's stop this split. And, you know, obviously getting the arena at Belmont does a lot of things for this franchise, as we've discussed. It's probably the single most important thing that's happened to the franchise in, 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 in decades, you know, or at least, you know, a couple of decades here. Um, Barry Trotz, if you go back to episode one and talking about free agency and, and attracting free agency, he came out and said no, no free agent is, is attracted to having to split home games and the setup the Islanders are, are going through right now. So, you know, next season, uh, all games at Nassau Coliseum, again, nothing announced, uh, pure speculation, but I, I think it's logical speculation at this point, so... Uh, but anyway, this week we got three games at Barclays Center. Uh, bring your sweaters. It's cold there. As, as, as looking into this game, a couple of a couple of things for the Ottawa game, and you know maybe by the time you hear this podcast, the game has come and gone. But uh, you know Derek Broussard, who is from the uh, Ottawa area, played for the uh, Senators um, after being traded from the Rangers. Uh, about a season and a half, a little bit longer before being traded to the Penguins. But he comes in with a career-high five-game uh, five goal streak. And that is all since he's been moved to right wing, uh, to, to Brock Nelson's right wing. And uh, he just, I think we mentioned this last week on the, on the podcast, but he just looks so free playing at right wing. And, and we talked to Barry Trotz, after the game in Buffalo about exactly why this has worked so well, Derek Broussard on right wing, because he's a natural center and has pretty much played center throughout his uh, NHL career, except being spotted in and out on the wing when necessary. But this is a, you know, right now he's a right wing for this team, and it ties into when Jordan Everly comes back, and then Barry Trotz is going to have a real interesting decision to make because, you know, obviously Jordan's a right wing. He was playing on that top line with Matthew Barzell and Anders Lee. And uh, Josh Bailey is, is doing really well there um, on the first line on right wing. And now Derek Broussard has settled in. I mean, how could you take Derek Broussard off the second line at this point? Um, so what do you do with Jordan Everly? And, you know, or do you put him there? You move... Derek Broussard back to center, and uh, Barry's response was, uh, I, I thought, very interesting, which was, whenever Jordan comes back, and again, no timeline, Barry is thinking that, you know, he doesn't, you know, quote-unquote, rush him back in, you know, you, you don't necessarily get thrown back on the top line. He wants to manage Jordan's minutes when he comes back in, and uh, I think he's hedging for time there, knowing that He's got to figure this out because he doesn't want to move Derek Broussard off of right wing. Um, it might be, you know, at some point he might have to just because, you know, center is such an important position and, and that third line really does need an anchor. And that also ties into, uh, or, I'm sorry, or, 
when I say third line, right now Casey Sezekis's line is the third line with Cal Clutterbuck and Michael Dalcall, and then you have Cole Bardreau, uh, centering a fourth line with Oliver Wallstrom and Ross Johnson. And, uh, you know, Ross Johnson's been pretty good. And, and Cole, you know, has had a couple of breakaways. I'm digressing here. Um, but, you know, at, at some point, I, I think you need a little bit of center depth. And Derek Broussard was signed as a free agent to, to provide that uh, depth or, or that third-line center with Valtteri Fulpula now with the Detroit Red Wings. But, you know... Barry's not going to rush anything there. Uh, he's going to ride Derek Broussard playing so well on right wing. And again, when he was asked about why it's working so well, it, he mentioned what I mentioned is that uh, Derek Broussard is playing free because what Barry's observation was, you know, the Islanders obviously have this defense first, uh, you know, mentality, reputation, system, and Barry thought that Derek was maybe trying too hard to be too responsible as a center, you know, and to, to the point where, you know, offense was becoming a, an afterthought. He just so didn't want to do the wrong thing defensively that it was taking away from his natural offensive skills and instincts. And now, you know, they're, they're obviously much more, uh, defensive responsibilities or just, you know, responsibilities in general playing in the middle. I'm not saying playing wing is easy by any stretch of the imagination, but to a certain extent, there, there's less that you need to worry about. And I, I think without those additional responsibilities slash worries, Derek Broussard is playing a freer game and letting his natural talent come out. And you know what, I, I know he's, you know, 31 now, and he kind of had a rough season last year, but, you know, those offensive talents are still there. This guy can still take a shot. He knows where the net is. He's a very smart player. So you saw the goal he scored in, in Buffalo, and that was by design. He, he saw a spot to bank it in off of uh, Carter Hutton's leg um, from behind the crease. I mean, that was a smart goal. Uh, Derek said he got lucky and maybe to a certain extent he does because, you know, that's a hard t shot to convert, but still, I mean, that was the thought process. He wasn't looking to feed it out front. He wanted to score from behind the goal and, and he did. So uh, again, you know, a uh, very interesting call coming up you know, if Jordan resumes practicing, Barry is going to have to make that call. So uh, that's something to uh, obviously keep an eye out. And, uh, you know, uh, another thing to look out for uh, specifically against the Senators, um, uh, the, when they were up in Ottawa, what was that, November 20, uh, October 25th, uh, you know, Barry dressed only 11 forwards in that game anyway. He dressed Dobson as a seventh defenseman. And then both uh, Tom Kuhnhockel in the first period and Matt Martin in the second period, although Matty returned in the third period before being placed on IR a couple of days later. But, you know, the Islanders were down to nine forwards. And then the Islanders felt that the Senators deliberately started targeting their forwards uh, trying to goad them into fights and, and further deplete, you know, how many forwards they had available. And, 
The Islanders really were not a big fan of that tactic. They, they thought it was kind of dirty pool. They weren't happy. And Barry's mentioned that, uh, you know, they're going to have some uh, long memories about that. So uh, that'll, that'll be another thing to keep an eye on. Obviously, they go in with the chance for a 10-game uh, winning streak. Now, uh, you know, franchise record is 15 games in uh, 81-82. But uh, they haven't had a winning streak of nine games in a, in a single season since the 1989-90 season. So, you know, you're you're going almost on three decades, and then, you know, since you've had a nine-game winning streak like this, and it's the second longest um, single-season winning streak in, in club history behind that that 15-game uh, win streak I mentioned. So uh, a chance for them to go a perfect 10 and, uh, and, you know, make it officially, not just matching the nine-game streak, but making it officially the second longest win streak in club history. And you know what? Uh, it's, it's 13 games into the season. That's pretty darn impressive, I, I think. You know, obviously, uh, or 14 games, sorry. Um, but, yeah, you know, anytime you can reel off a win streak like that, I, I think it speaks a lot to you know, the potential of the team and without, you know, I know I'm going to get messages on Twitter, you know, don't jinx it, Andrew, don't jinx it. Well, you know, kind of like an announcer trying to call a no hitter at some point, you gotta, you gotta let fans know what's going on. And, you know, I'm talking about a nine game winning streak, uh, October into November with the potential for a 10 on Tuesday night. And, I, I I just think, especially with the injuries this team has uh, has sustained, uh, it really is a testament to, um, well, one, the commitment from all the players to play exactly the way Barry Trotz wants him to play within the system, which serves the team so well. You know, none of these games are necessarily, you know, uh, the most beautiful hockey you've ever seen, but if you get the two points, who cares, right? Um and I think it's also a testament to, to Barry Trotz and his staff as, as to what good teachers and, you know, coaches these guys are. When you talk about the players committing, well, the, the, the coaches have to sell the message to get them to buy in. And, you know, the, the, the coaching staff has certainly imparted, a, a, you know, a belief in the players that if they do exactly how the coaching staff is teaching them to play, they're going to win. And, that is just compounded and reinforced when you, you, you see results like this. So, uh, you know, a nine-game winning streak, a little bit about that 15-game winning streak. I'm sure many of you remember that, you know, the dynastic Islanders in the midst of their four Stanley Cups and, and what a, an amazing team that was, you know, do whole podcasts just going down memory lane on that. But just a little snippet here, that, that, that 15 game streak, I was looking at it, it went from, uh, uh, what was it, uh, January 21st, 82 um, to, I believe uh, it was, it lasted a month. Um, started January 21st, 1982 with a 6-1 win over the Penguins. Now, <laughs> I went through the, uh, through the, through the streak. Four of the 15 wins came against the Penguins, who must have just hated playing the Islanders. Because the, the, the Islanders beat them 6-1 to, to start the streak. 
Then they had wins of 9-2, 6-3, and 6-2 uh, against them. Although, ironically, it was the Penguins who, who snapped the streak with a 4-3 win on, uh, on February 21st, 1982. But uh, the, uh, the Islanders got to, uh, to 15 on, on February 20th, 1982 with a 3-2 win over the Colorado Rockies. And it's... You know, just really interesting. I know, you know, obviously there's been change in the NHL since uh, since those days, but the Islanders got wins against the Minnesota North Stars, who are, of course, now the Dallas Stars. They, they got a win uh, against the Hartford Whalers, who are now the Carolina Hurricanes, and they got a win against the Colorado Rockies, who are now the New Jersey Devils. And I'm looking here to see if they beat the Winnipeg Jets in that streak, which would have been... Uh, no, they did not. You know, the Winnipeg Jets are now, of course, the Arizona Coyotes. So just uh, you know, a little stroll down memory lane. I, it just struck me how many times the Penguins had to play them. I mean, you know, they, they start the streak against the Penguins on, on January 21st with a 6-1 win. And then, you know, five days later, the 26th and 27th, they're playing a back-to-back, a home-and-home back-to-back. Beat them up 9-2-6-3. And like I said, I mean... Boy, the Penguins just must must have hated seeing him. And then I can't imagine like the elation in, in, in the Penguins dressing room when they when they snapped that streak after being beaten up four times, uh, you know, within a month by this team. But a uh, 4-3 win on February 21st, 1982 for the Penguins to snap that 15-game streak. We'll see how long this streak by the Islanders goes. Um... And like I mentioned, uh, up in Buffalo, Cal Clutterbuck played in his 800th NHL game. And uh, I was talking to him afterwards. And he he said, you know, you hit milestones. Every 100 games is a milestone, 100, 200, 300. Um, and, and Cal said this was the first one that really kind of he, he thought of. And he, 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 it struck him. You know that it was it was a big milestone, and how proud he was to have hit 800 games. And you know, as Barry said, you know, man, Cal Clutterbuck plays a lot of hard minutes. He plays a hard game the way he is. Uh, you know, his style, his forecheck, his the way he agitates, the way he's chirping, the way other players, you know, a lot of other players can't stand him or take runs at him. His body has gone through a lot, and to get to 800 games is is really saying a lot. And obviously, you know, he's uh, he can he can get to a thousand if he stays healthy here by the end of his Islanders contract, and and he's certainly you know that's certainly a goal of his. Um, you know, it says it's a goal of every player to get to a thousand. But you know, Cal Cal played from about January February on last season through debilitating back pain. You know, where where at home he was having trouble standing up straight and just functioning, really. And somehow, up until Game 4 at Carolina in the playoffs, somehow he, he managed to coax and the trainers managed to coax his body into being able to play an NHL game. And he went into the offseason, had uh, corrected back surgery, you know, nerve damage, vertebrae, the whole deal. Um, you know, before the surgery, there, there was some doubt you know, whether Cal would be able to play again. And uh, uh, coming out of it, uh, Cal said, you know, as soon as he got out of surgery, he knew he was feeling a lot better. 
So again, I, I sat down with Cal during the week. Uh, it was before the uh, the back to back, you know, before they went to Buffalo, uh, even before they uh, you know beat up on the Lightning five two on Friday night. So uh, it, it is from a off day practice last week out at East Meadow, but uh, really good chat with Cal. One of my favorite guys on the team to chat with. Just very very bright and, and sees a lot of stuff and and really can analyze, and he gets it, and you know what, if you're telling me this guy, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if this guy was a GM at some point, because I think he kind of commands that respect, and has that kind of hockey intelligence, I don't know whether he has any desire to do anything like that, but if if in 10 years I'm covering Cal Clutterbuck, the GM, wouldn't shock me, but uh Again, we didn't necessarily talk or we didn't talk about the 800th game coming up, but we did hit on a lot of other subjects. Uh, so, uh, again, here, live from the uh, Islanders dressing room, Cal Clutterbuck. I'm here with Cal Clutterbuck. And, and Cal, just let's start by, you know, as we're recording this, 11 games into the season, um, we playing uh, a few more games over the weekend, but what do you see out of the team? And I, I know this has been a little bit more injury-filled than last season, but you know, what, what are you seeing, and, and, and how you know promising does this season look right now? Um, I think we're just, you know, I think we're seeing that um, we're still able to pay attention to the details, um, <coughs> still still able to defend. I think there's a lot of areas in our game that have been. Still inconsistent, honestly. Um, a couple games we could have lost that we've won along this little stretch here. Um, but I think generally, I think we're getting stronger. I think we have the ability to, when we have a bad game in a certain area, we're able to uh, sit down, look at it objectively, go out and, and practice and, and work on it, and then uh, try our, try and rectify the next game. I think we've done that for the most part. Um, and so we, I think it's just about us staying on top of each other and, and um making sure that we play that that sort of true to the model and um, you know the model worked for us last year and, and you know, if we continue to play that way I think it's going to work for us going forward. Obviously injuries are a part of this you know I mean you, you've been hurt Matt's been hurt Casey's been hurt you know just w- w- without you three together you know how how do you feel you've adjusted or you know whatever combination has been out there has adjusted? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, I, tr- I, I know the type of game that I'm going to play. Uh, I've played with a lot of different guys over that span, um, whether it be for a shift or a period. Um, you know, sometimes those things are just way out of your control, and I think you, uh, as a player, you need to have a sort of a little personal checklist of the things that you do well, and you do them regardless of who you're playing with. Um, you know, I mean, the product might be different on the ice, but again, they, Marty and Case and I have played together almost every game for seven years, so obviously there's a... It's going to be different, but uh, you know I think we've done a good job, and I thought Michael did a great job with us last game, Case and I, and um, and you know I think um, those other guys did a great job of kind of helping us, you know Bards and Wally and and John are kind of helped us pick up the physical aspect, and then you know so for if you look at it that way, from, for half the game we had an extremely physical line on the ice, and, and so it's a benefit. To us. You mentioned seven years. I mean, you're entrenched as one of the longest-serving Islanders at this point. Can you remember when you get traded here from uh, from Minnesota? I mean, you had had a good run in Minnesota too, but you know, 
obviously it's a shock the first time you traded. What, what were you thinking when you came here, and could you have imagined seven years going on eight or, or however long this winds up being? Yeah, I couldn't have imagined it. Um, I couldn't have imagined uh, the way that I feel about this area of the world, for one. I couldn't imagine um, the group of people that I've played with. It's been a lot of different guys, but there's been a lot of friendships that I've made that have continued. Guys have continued on with their careers and gone somewhere else. And, and there's been some guys that have been here the whole time with me and a big group of guys, which is kind of shocking. You know, if, Even if I look at Minnesota, I think there's two guys left on that team that I even played for more than 10 games with. So... Um, I didn't anticipate it. Uh, I'm glad it's happening. Uh, you know, I want to be here as long as I can be. But uh, you know, this place surprised me quite a bit. I'm gonna be honest. Uh, the people and the and the geography and, and everything. Um, I was a little bit scared and a little bit disappointed when I first heard that I got traded here, honestly. But uh, it didn't take long for me to, to really start to enjoy it. Well, I mean, you know, those of us who have lived in New York all their lives know that, you know, Long Island is a, a different animal than downtown Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But probably if you're not from here and you hear you've been traded to New York, then it's a scary proposition at times. Yeah, it, not only is it New York, but it's sort of off New York. And it's, uh, you know, my only recollection of... Long Island was uh, Farmingdale, Jericho Turnpike to the uh, Marriott, right. to the Coliseum parking lot once a year for five years. So, and even in a lockout year, I didn't think I, I don't think we played here at all. So, I think I'd been here three times. Um, I knew that I despised the Coliseum. I knew that I despised the Marriott. <laughs> um, you know, and that's what I thought that uh, I was just headed into, and. Um, it didn't take me long to realize that uh, it's one very small square of um, what turns out to be a really, really great place to live. Everyone on this team always makes mention about what a tight-knit group this is and, you know, how, how positive the chemistry is. Is it something that you've dealt with before in your career or is this really, truly a, a special group in here? Yeah, this is not a group like I've had before. Um, and you don't really know until you're kind of part of one, you know, honestly. Um, and the group has changed quite a bit. I think the, the group itself has uh, really changed and evolved. And, you know, if you look at a group of guys like Johnner and um, Wally and Bards and Otto, you know, like, I remember when those guys were Brock and Anders and, um, you know, Scotty and Pelly and those guys were those guys to me back then <laughs> so it's a very strange sort of like you watch the cycles go through and you know Anders is obviously a, a, the captain and huge part of our team and Brock's right there with them and so you watch these guys kind of come into their own and it, it, it teaches you a lot about being an older guy and how things go and, and what's uh, what my role or our role as older guys should be in, in their careers and lives. And um, I think that just the, there's a genuine interest between from the older guys to the younger guys, you know, just to make sure that uh, that everyone's taken care of. And I think when you feel taken care of, you're more comfortable and uh, and you really appreciate. I, I mean, I, I know that there's a couple older guys that stick out in my mind that when I was young, they did things to help me out, and I really appreciated it. And, and as a result, I kind of you know, looked up to them and, and tried to uh, emulate them in a way. And so, um, you know, those are all words people talk about a lot, but when, when there's a genuine care from both sides to make each other better, I think it's, it's, just, it's, it's just fun. How did you develop your playing style when you're, you know, 
peewees through youth hockey and, and how much of a uh, an outcrop of your personality do you feel your playing style is you know I think my playing style is a little bit I mean it's a lot like my personality quite frankly um, my personality can be dry um, but I think that's funny you know I, to me it's all funny I'm a very I enjoy making fun of things and that's just I'm a very perceptive person and I enjoy noticing things and I enjoy you know finding something funny to say about what I'm noticing and um, my game I guess I started off like anyone else I just wanted to score a million goals and um, you know play well and, and then contact started and I had this little urge to get involved there too so I um, used to watch the Rock'em Sock'em videos and watch these huge hits and try and go out and, and do the same thing and I, I turned out to be good at it I mean right from the start when, when contact started I seemed to kind of get the hang of the timing and, and uh, all that so but again, it was junior. It was really the only way I could get on the ice it's, as a 15-, 16-year-old playing the OHL was to go out there and be physical. So that part kind of took over for a while. But uh, just trying to be well-rounded. You know, I didn't really work on any of it. It just happened. Who's the uh, best chirper on the team? Would, would that be you? or? Uh? I can't nominate myself. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, as much as I'd love to, I can't. Um, best chirper on the team is... Probably. He's looking around the room, folks. <laughs> he's he's deciding here. Yeah, I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're gonna say it's you then. <laughs> Probably good. Yeah, I'm the one who talks the most. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> hey, Cal. I really appreciate a few minutes. Thanks. Best no, of luck. No problem, Andrew. Thanks a lot. And my thanks and uh, congratulations again to Cal Clutterbuck, 800 games, great stuff, and uh, really uh, fun to chat with uh, Cal. Um, you know, I was, <laughs> I asked him that question about, you know, uh, where he developed that kind of that style of play, and I, I always get a chuckle of thinking of like, you know, a little 12-year-old Cal Clutterbuck just darting around the ice, annoying every every friend, and kid on the ice at the same time probably chirping him pretty good um you know looking looking at cal's uh junior hockey s stats uh you know he plays for the oshawa generals his last two seasons in the ohl in 0506 he goes 66 games 35 goals 33 assists 139 penalty minutes and then in 06 and 07 for the generals 65 games uh, 35 goals, 54 assists, 153 penalty minutes. And just, uh, you know, to me, Cal Clutterbuck's one of the fun guys in the league to watch play. He's, he's the kind of guy you, you're really glad he's on your team because uh, I'm sure Islander fans weren't big Cal Clutterbuck uh, admirers when he played for the Minnesota Wild. Um, but again, uh, congrats to Cal on reaching 800. And uh, that brings us to the Q&A portion of Island Ice. Uh, always have fun seeing uh, what everyone is thinking about and what everyone is asking questions about. And uh, as I tell you each week, it's just a reply to the tweet I put up in the morning with a question. And I kind of do it stream of consciousness. I go on my Twitter account 
and just scroll down and answer them as they come in and try and get to as much as possible. Um, so here we are and uh, away we go, as Jackie Gleason used to say. And kids look up Jackie Gleason. He was a pretty funny guy. Um, anyway, uh, we start off with Beast LM, who asks, how did Pellich, Pellich, that's Adam Pellick, uh, go from probably the worst defenseman on the team to probably the best? And, uh, you know, uh, Beast LM, it's a really, really good question. Um, you know, he might not have been the worst defenseman, but he certainly wasn't a consistent defenseman. And, you know, I, I still might argue that Ryan Pulak is the best defenseman, but a big part of that is uh, him being paired with Adam Pellick. So uh, I'll try and dissect this for you. Um, so uh, as we know, last season, Adam Pellick, uh, you know, really struggled through about January or so. Um, it was a healthy scratch a couple of times. But from January on through the playoffs, you just saw him blossom into this reliable defenseman and this season he's he's really ratcheted it up he, he, he may be uh, the team's best or most consistent defenseman uh through the, the start of the season I, I think it's debatable uh, again I, I've liked the play of all six um and, and I've said on the show that you know I think one through six the Islanders can stack up to anyone in the NHL Adam certainly being a uh, a huge part of that and and a, a good portion of it and I keep going back and referring to Barry Trotz's system and how he wants players to play with it and the commitment that the players have to to buying into the system and I think you know it all clicked for Adam uh at a certain point last season and once he gets that confidence and uh, it can't be understated how critical confidence is to a player um, maybe that sounds like a simple thing, but, but confidence, confidence is really a complex thing. I mean, anyone in life, there are just days where you, you feel unsure of yourself. I, I know there are days like where, where I feel like I haven't, you know, I, I've never done the job before. You know, you just have those moments where, where things come a little bit harder. But when you consistently feel that confidence, which is what Adam has done pretty much since you know, January, February last season, you can just blossom your game in, in, in oh so many ways. I mean, he's good positionally. He's got a, you know, just a tremendous body at, uh, at 6'3", about 220 to play in this league. He skates well enough. He, he sees the ice. You know, he can be physical when he wants to be physical. He, he, he stands up, you know, in rushes. He's got a really good stick. I think he's got an underrated stick. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I see him so many times just subtly getting a stick in and, and breaking up plays. I think it's uh, an underrated portion of his game. Um, you know, he's got two assists through 13 games. And, you know, with his pairing with Ryan Pulak, you know, Barry talks about there's one guy who's supposed to stay back and one guy who, who can go up and, and join the offense. And Adam is, is clearly, you know, a defense first kind of guy. Um, plays clean. He's got four penalty minutes, you know, had 24 last season. Um, I think the other thing to remember about him is he's 25 years old, uh, just turned 25 in August. This is really his third full NHL season and, and defensemen just take a little longer to, to percolate than, uh, 
forwards do. I mean, everyone develops at their own rate. But, uh, you know, Devontae's uh, about the same age and, uh, you know, saw how long it took him to get to the NHL. So I just really think it's a confluence of things. His confidence is maturing into an NHL player. Um, and, and being in the perfect system for him, and, and also being paired with Ryan Pulak. The two of them have great chemistry, good friends. Uh, they kind of locker next to each other, and uh, you know it's a really good match, and, and you certainly haven't seen uh, Barry tinker with it. So I, I think all those factors play a part, but, but you're right, Beast LM. He, he, you know, he's gone from being one of the liabilities among the six to being one of the real anchors among the six. Um, Glenn Thompson asks, any word on what the illness is that is going around? They're just calling it an illness. Uh, you know, I have seen Leo. I see he was in the room after Friday night's win over, over the Tampa Bay Lightning. As I walked into the room, I, I first went over to Thomas Grice to talk about his game. And uh, I kind of looked over at Leo Komarov and I turned to Thomas. I said, that is Leo Komarov. I know that guy, you know. Um, I, I wish I could tell you exactly what illness it is, um, and it does certainly seem to be a much longer illness than anyone would expect when you just list a player as an illness. So, you know, when Leo does talk, maybe he will let us know what's going on. I, I don't, you know, I, I think players in this day and age are very private about their medicals, um, so I suspect that will be the case, but... You know, you always, I, I mean, I, my, my guess was it was a flu. I mean, the way Anthony Beauvillier came back within 24 hours and was describing what a not a fun day it was the day before, to me, that always sounds like the, uh, the stomach flu um, because that is not fun. Um, I mean, not that having the regular flu is fun either, but, it, it, you know, when, when players say they didn't have a fun day yesterday, I've always taken that as kind of code, like, yeah, yeah, I had the stomach flu, and you really don't want to ask too many more questions about this, because I could get really graphic if you want, and you don't want that, and to be honest, there have been players who have gotten way too graphic on that, and I'm fine at just leaving it as an illness, and that's what we will leave Leo Komarov as. Again, he, uh, he skated pretty hard today, um, waiting for him to rejoin the group for practice so you can get a better sense of when he might be able to come back. Um, Garrett Fujarski asks, what may happen when Ladd comes back with the young guys like Wallstrom and Bardreau, and will Dobson continue riding Pine unless there's an injury? Um, so kind of two questions in one. When Ladd comes back, uh, you know, Barry has sort of said two things here. One, that he's, you know, he keeps talking about how well he saw Andrew Ladd playing last season before he got hurt a second time. Uh, this was the injury in March. Um, and they really, you know, you, you throw the contract out the window at, at this time and you just accept the player for what he can provide. And they really like Andrew Ladd and what he can add to the group. Um Barry Trotz is, I mean, and this is not coach speak, he is excited about being able to add Andrew Ladd back into the group because he thinks it will make the team better. Um, what happens with young guys like Wallstrom and Bardreau? Well, I, I think the answer is that those guys wind up back uh, in Bridgeport in the AHL uh, until they're needed further. Um, 
Wallstrom, you know, Wallstrom has a chance to stick around if he starts scoring a little bit, but right now he's really, you know, he's playing on the fourth line, not getting a lot of minutes, and that's not really, you know, he's going to be a top six player when he is in his prime, um, or at least that's what the Islanders are projecting, certainly a top nine player. So right now he's just, you know, kind of a, a, a rookie trying to, you know, find his way and, and, and find a role and, uh, you know, it's not a, a huge one right now, even though he is getting some power play time. So I, I think when Ladd comes back and certainly Everly and, uh, you know, and later on Martin and Kuhnhockel, uh, that's when you'll, you'll see Wallstrom and Bardreau heading back to Bridgeport. Um, Dobson, and we, we talked a little bit about uh, Dobson uh, in, in the first segment, but uh, he, he's going to be a seventh defenseman. Um, he'll, he'll be spotted in here and there. Um, but yeah, I, I think for now, uh, you know, when there are injuries, he's a guy that can come in, and otherwise he will continue to mature as an NHL player being spotted into the lineup. Um, let's see, Sparky and Fuego says, does unwritten NHL culture discourage coaches from scratching veteran players, even for a game? And if so, do you think that culture needs to be eliminated? For example, scratching Brent Seabrook in Chicago seems to have caused major drama. Thanks. Um, no. I mean, I think you see with the Rangers right now, you know, Mark Stahl is being scratched. Um, it's never easy when you, you, you have, you know, a, a guy like Stalzy. You know, again, you know, I go back to covering the Rangers, and Stalzy is as good as they get uh, in, in terms of being a person and a, and a teammate and, you know, when, you know, in the prime of his career, he was one of the defensemen I really, really enjoyed watching every time he was on the ice. But he's on the other side of 30 now. And, uh, you know, Quinn just feels like he's, there are times when he's not in the top six. So, I mean, David Quinn is not shying away from from scratching a Mark Stahl. I mean, again, going back to the Rangers, I saw John Tortorella scratch Brad Richards in the playoffs. I mean... Yeah, unfortunately, it sort of shattered their personal relationship as a result. But no, I, I don't think NHL culture discourages coaches from doing that. Uh, it's at a coach's discretion. You're seeing Elaine Vigneault now in uh, in Philly. You know, he's, I, I think, called out, you know, some of his top guys like Claude Giroux a couple of times. It seems like a matter of time before they, they, they have some kind of shakeup there. I mean, sometimes... You know, coaching's not an easy job. You you have to make unpopular decisions because your only job is to get the best out of your team. And, and you know, sometimes uh, feelings kind of get, you know, shoved to the side. And, and that's just coaching. So it's not a, a an NHL culture to, uh, you know, to, to scratch veteran players. You, you do it if you think that's the best thing for your team. Uh, you certainly... Sh- if you're scratching a veteran player, I think coaches should go out of their way to communicate uh, very openly. You, I, I don't think players like that should just show up and not see their lock, their their jersey in their locker stall, you know, and, and know they're scratched that night. I, I think that's a conversation you have before the player gets into the room. Um, Li Strong asks, "What happens when Eberly comes back? Who plays third line center again?" Uh, you know, talked about it at the top of the show. This is a really tough call that Barry Trotz has 
with what to do with Derek Broussard, who's, who's playing so well as a top six right wing. I think ultimately, you know, you get enough guys coming back, and, and yeah, I, I think Broussard will wind up back as the third-line center. Um, maybe not the first couple of games that Eberle comes back, but eventually that's probably the way it, it goes. Brian G. asks, is Nick Letty going to be out this week? And uh, again, you know, we, Barry said on Saturday he thought Nick would practice on Monday. Uh, Nick did not practice on Monday, so I'm assuming that means he is not playing Tuesday. I, I don't know how, how long this goes. Um, you know, it was supposed to be, and, and, and I shouldn't say it's supposed to be, it, it's been... Uh, communicated to us as a nagging injury, a nagging lower body injury that was really aggravated in the uh, in the game uh, against Tampa on Friday, and now the Islanders are kind of erring on the side of caution and, and giving Nick a, a few days off here. So uh, I don't know if it's going to be the whole week, but it certainly seems like he'll be out against the Senators. Brian G asks. What are the rules about the length of time Lad can be on a conditioning stint in the AHL? Um, Lad can play, and, and he was sent down on Saturday. Um, he can play up to three AHL games on conditioning or, or be down there for six days. Um, and then after that, they, the Islanders have to go to Lad and his agent and basically request permission to extend that conditioning stint. It didn't sound like they were going to do that. Uh, Barry seemed to indicate that Ladd would kind of be back with the group after this is, uh, after this condi conditioning stint of, uh, you know, three games, six days is over. Um, NYI on OLN says, uh, pretty sure this has been addressed in the past. Maybe there's an update. When the Coliseum is without a permanent tenant, does that make room for the Sound Tigers, or is that impossible considering the current building or building's owner or owner's situation? Also, I'm just a guy named John. And again, I am not a legal expert, but I believe there are some kind of eminent domain issues where, uh, you know, the Islanders, when they moved to Belmont, if they wanted the Sound Tigers in... Long Island or in Nassau Coliseum. And again, you saw that did not happen when the Islanders moved to uh, Barclays Center. Um, they did not move the Sound Tigers down. I, 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 I seem to recall that the Islander, the territory, somehow the Islanders will ha would have to pay uh, the Rangers, I believe, uh, for the territorial rights. And I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Uh, again, Jim Bomback is a really good guy on arena stuff. Um, he probably covered that before I joined Newsday. But I, I don't think Bridgeport to Nassau Coliseum is, is a thing. Um, Mike O'Brien says, how do waivers work if a guy like Tanner Fritz or Thomas Hickey were to be called up? If at some point then they would need to be sent back down, would they need to clear waivers again? And uh, I believe the answer there is a simple one, yes. Um, uh, if the Islanders brought up Tanner Fritz or Thomas Hickey or a guy who needs to clear waivers to go to the AHL, and I believe the rules are that if they want to send them back down, then again, they have to clear waivers. Uh, there might be a, a time frame in, in there. I, I know, uh, once a guy, you know, you can put, um, say Tanner Fritz was with the Islanders right now, 
the Islanders could put him on waivers tomorrow. Um, and then if he cleared, the Islanders don't necessarily have to send him to, you know, the AHL or reassign him. He, I think he gets 30 days where he's cleared waivers. He can be reassigned at any time. But um, that wasn't necessarily the question. But yeah, th those guys need waivers again. Tim Lockhart asks, is Everly day-to-day -day or week-to-week? -week? This is taking too long. Um, he was back uh, skating with the team today in a non-contact jersey, so now the next step is for him to be cleared for contact, and usually after that you get a couple of three practices in and you're able to play. So just stay tuned to see when he is cleared for contact because that'll give you your best indication as to whether he's day-to-day -day or week-to-week. -week. And I, I sort of sense that now he's back even in a non-contact this is clearly a you know day-to-day -day, certainly not a you know week to week but we'll, we'll see about that um josh freeman says do you think this team can as it constructed as it is can make a deep run would be nice to add in the top six but judging by previous years it never happens um well, a, a couple of things here. Um, yeah, I, I think this team, as constructed, can make a deep run. I mean, this team, as constructed, got to the second round of the playoffs last season. And uh, uh, obviously, they were swept by the Hurricanes. But I, I would argue if they didn't have the 10, 11 days in between series, and maybe if they continued playing at Nassau Coliseum instead of playing the second round in Barclays, it might have been different. And if you get through that second round, you're officially in a deep run because you're in the conference final. So yeah, I, I have, you know what, and we've all seen this in NHL playoffs, you know, seeds one through eight. What you're looking for is the team that's playing the best going into the playoffs and the team that has the hottest goalie. And there is no reason that can't be the Islanders come come April, and there's no reason why it might not be the Islanders. You know, it, but uh, if they're playing as they are right now, as we're 13, 14 games into the season, then why wouldn't you think they can make a deep run? They're getting very solid goaltending. They're scoring enough goals, and they're frustrating teams defensively. As Derek Broussard said to me, uh, after the Buffalo win, he gets, he gets the only goal in a one nothing win. He says, when we are playing like this, other teams hate playing us. Uh, paraphrasing, but that, that's pretty close. I'm going to go with that. Um, and it's true. Teams get frustrated against the Islanders. So, uh, you know, and, and playoff games can be played very low scoring because all the goaltending tends to be good if you're in the playoffs. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going with this team can make a deep run. Uh, we'll see. Um, as far as adding to the top six, but judging by previous years, it never happens. I, I understand why you would say that. What I would say to this, playing devil's advocate, is uh, this is no longer Garth Snow as the Islanders' GM. This is Lou Lamarillo, and I know Lou did not make a deal. Uh, you know, we did not make a deal in two draft days and did not make a deal really at... Uh, you know, uh, uh, at the trade deadlines, um, you know, and he's talked about wanting more pop for the lineup, but I don't think you judge what Lou Lamarillo has done. I, I, I think, you know, I, I still will say that if, if Lou feels a trade is necessary, he's going to make one. Um, so I wouldn't judge what's going to happen this season by what happened last season with Lou. Lou is too unpredictable, um, as I've learned over the years. Um, Matt asks, 
how many new faces will we see next year? <laughs> uh, I, I, I understand why you're asking that. I'm not trying to make fun of you, but geez, can, can, let's enjoy this season. <laughs> um, who do you think earns a spot from Bridgeport later in the season or next year? I, I think you're seeing, I mean, you know, Otto Koivula is certainly in this team's, you know, plans. I, I, I think you see that. I think you certainly see Oliver Wallstrom is in the these teams' plans, and Noah Dobson is in these teams' plans. Bodie Wild is in this team's plans, although, you know, they, they probably want him to get some seasoning in Bridgeport. You know, uh, th those are the guys that I think, you know, whether they earn a spot later this season or even next year, you know, those are the guys that, that come to mind. Um, I can't tell you how many new faces we'll see next year. Um, I know teams, you know, typically... Coaches love getting the infusion of youth into those lineups. John Tortorella, you know, preaches that, you know, every, every day, it seems like. You got to get youth into the lineup. So, you know, I, I would think, you know, like this season, you got Noah around, you got Oliver Wallstrom around, even Cole Bardreau at, you know, 26, you know, a little infusion of youth there. Um, I, I would certainly say next season you, you would hope they, they, they come north, uh, to use a baseball term, but they break out of training camp with at least one rookie on the team. Uh, maybe it's Ilya Sorokin next season, you know, if he comes over from North America. Maybe uh, Jacob Skarik impresses the heck out of them and, and makes a push because uh, if they don't re-sign Thomas Grice next season, you know. Uh, but we'll see. Um, and let's see, Tier 1 Media says... Hi, Andrew. I'm in the minority who believes the New York Islanders don't have to make a trade. Okay, and this ties in nicely to the previous question. And, uh, you know, it almost seems like I paired these two questions together. But uh, eventually they will be forced to, but that is uh, contract management more than on ice. Young talent not far off. When it happens, do you think more likely a Broussard Bailey type? Uh, I'm assuming meaning gets traded, uh, and then uh, uh, 28, a 15, uh, that would be a, a Dalcal, a Clutterbuck, uh, a Lad, a Kuhnhockel, and then 55. So uh, Tier 1 Media is trading a lot of the veterans there. <laughs> um, I agree. Um, I don't think, I think the Islanders and Lou are in a strong position where they don't have to make a trade. Uh, they've shown that. They haven't made trades and, and they're winning, you know, nine in a row, uh, going for 10 straight. But at the same time, you know, Lou, Lou is never satisfied. I mean, you saw with the Devils, you know, firing coaches, firing Claude Julian with the team, you know, near the top of the standings just because he was worried about the team flagging going into the playoffs. So, uh, you know, they don't have to make a trade, but Lou certainly can make a trade. Um, Broussard's on a one-year deal. Um, so, you know, he's certainly, you know, he's certainly trade bait on a one-year deal for another playoff contender, but at the same time, He's on a playoff contender, so the Islanders, you know, at $1.2 million, you know, they, they, they can keep him. Uh, Josh Bailey is ingrained in the leadership group and is, you know, really, uh, he's having a tremendous season. And I should mention, uh, was he one assist away from 300 in his career? Uh, I believe that's, uh, if my memory banks uh, serve correctly. 
Michael Dalcall, I'm sure teams will be interested in him. He's a young guy. You know, he could be packaged. Cal Clutterbuck, uh, Andrew Ladd, I don't think they're trading Andrew Ladd's contract. Um, Tom Kuhnhockel, you know, adds value. Johnny Boychuk, I don't know if teams would take on his contract. So, I, I you know, I, I, I don't know who they would trade. Uh, you're, you're certainly bringing up a lot of the veterans. So, uh um, but I agree with with the uh, with the the concept that they don't have to make a trade. Um, and then we'll wrap up with Scott, who's going to try and stump me here by asking, who, in your opinion, has been the biggest disappointment so far, even with the nine-game winning streak? So, if yeah, you give me a second here, um, no. Disappoint. I mean, it's the team's playing so well. It's really, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I would hate to say, you know, I, I mean, in a way, Oliver Wallstrom, in only that he had so many opportunities to score early on in his first few games, and they didn't go in, and his ice time has diminished since then. But even as I say that, I think that is unfair at 19, you know, really getting his first crack at the NHL. I mean, both goalies, you know, Semyon Varlamov was maybe a little not as steady as you'd want. Maybe his first two starts been really good since then. Uh, you know, Tommy Kuhnhockel, I mean, he's, he's out injured now for four to six weeks, but... Uh, Oh, Barry Trotz called him a Swiss Army knife, and uh, you, you always, you know, you could put him in any situation. And I just thought Tom was was shaky, and he's played six games. And I just thought he didn't look really steady with the puck or sure of himself. And maybe that's a function of not getting into a rhythm. And now, unfortunately, he's hurt, and it's going to be four to six weeks before he gets into a rhythm, but uh, Tom Kunakel really hasn't, you know, uh, rung any bells yet this season either. And, uh, and sorry for saying that, Tommy, and get well soon. But, uh, well, uh, that is the end of uh, the, the Twitter questions, and I appreciate you uh, uh, sticking around to the end. And, and that is the end of Episode 6 of Island Ice. Presented by Newsday, I am your host, Andrew Gross. I don't know if I mentioned that, but yeah, I'm Andrew Gross. You can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. You can find Island Ice on the Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports. You can find Island Ice on SoundCloud. You can find Island Ice on Apple Podcast. You can find it on Google Play. You can find it on Spotify again. Please, please, please rate, review, subscribe, leave a comment, you know, I don't know, leave some chicken soup, something. Just let me know you're, uh, you're out there breathing. But anyway, <laughs> again, talk too long, always enjoy doing these podcasts. It's been a real pleasure to uh, kind of uh, talk into my little iPhone for, uh, I guess we're looking at about an hour now, and... Uh, Enjoy the games in Brooklyn this week, and I will talk to you next week. Again, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday, and thank you for listening to Island Dice.